for The District. I'm Ben Dominich, editor-at-large at The Spectator, and we are coming to you from the Olympic Media Studios in Alexandria, Virginia, where today my guest is Mary Margaret Olihan, who is senior reporter at The Daily Signal. Mary Margaret, thanks so much for taking the time to join me today. Thanks for having me. So I wanted to talk to you about something that's been happening on a sort of low boil over the last several weeks uh, in terms of uh, a news story that I believe deserves a lot more attention, the weaponization of uh, essentially our law enforcement arm against pro-life Americans in what seems to be a pretty intentional and aggressive way. Tell me a little bit about this story, how it's played out over the past uh, several weeks and what people need to know about it. Yeah, so I, I actually feel like this was this started boiling maybe in May when all these attacks on pro-life clinics started happening. Pro-life, and I should say pro-life centers because centers don't have sonograms and pro-abortion advocates really like you to make that distinction. So pro-life centers, faith-based institutions, and then these pro-life organizations as well that maybe don't offer care to mothers and babies, but they do pro-life work. So right after the Dobbs leak, we started seeing all these attacks on these centers all over the country. And especially on Mother's Day, I don't know if you remember Jane's Revenge mm -hmm. and Ruth sent us and a bunch of these kind of nebulous sounding pro-abortion groups that are on social media called for these attacks on churches and on pro-life centers in honor of Mother's Day and in honor of the Dobbs leak. And that was when a lot of us started saying, what's going on? Why isn't the Biden administration condemning this? Why isn't the DOJ getting involved in these very explicit, ideologically targeted attacks? And we saw fire bombings in Wisconsin. We saw vandalism all over the country. A church in uh, West Virginia, I believe, burned to the ground. And at the time, I asked the Biden administration, are you going to condemn these attacks, these calls for violence? And they did eventually. But since then, we haven't seen any arrests being made in any of these attacks. So with that in mind, that's something that I've been keeping an eye on. I've been really bothered by, you know, we have these really gruesome pictures of pro-life centers burned. Mm -hmm. <laughs> these places exist to provide options to moms and babies. Yeah, and, and just to interject, let's talk about kind of what these centers do, because in the wake of Dobbs, these take on added importance right. and, and obviously are, you know, centers that are designed to connect women with a lot of different community-based resources, mm -hmm. both faith-based and non-faith-based, that can connect them with people who want to adopt, with adoption programs, yeah. with support for single mothers, and everything else that kind right. of flows through the community, right? Yeah, I think a good example is Capitol Hill Crisis Pregnancy Center, and this is blocks from the Supreme Court. So when all the craziness was happening in the backlash over the leaked Dobbs opinion before the decision came down, we saw that clinic get vandalized. They dumped a big bucket of red paint on the door. They said, put Jane's Revenge on the window. And I've been in there before. I did a whole profile piece on them when I worked at the yeah. Daily Caller News Foundation. Their basement is completely filled with tubs of children's clothing, not just babies. So they care about the baby way after the baby's born. Mm -hmm. Uh, up to toddler years, they got strollers, they got baby car seats. Those are expensive for families that don't have the resources for that. And then not, not only that, they've got all kinds of pamphlets and literature to give to the moms and to the dads about how, like mental addictions or uh, drug addictions, alcohol addictions, how to set yourself up to be a good mother or father or to maintain a job, all kinds of resources. And so this is what this clinic exists for is to help families 
get started being a family rather than just send them down the road to the Planned Parenthood and take care of the problem that is their baby. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that one of the things that was so disturbing about the level of, of the violence that we saw here was that a lot of it was announced beforehand. Right. Basically, these groups were very public about this is what we intend to do, and then they go out and do it. And there seemed to have been basically no ramifications for them. But on the flip side, they are actually cracking down and targeting now pro-lifers who have been engaged in peaceful protests for years in many cases. Yeah, and I think I, I won't harp on this for too long, but one of the most bizarre things about this was these Jane's Revenge communiques, I think they called them. And, you know, we can't really trace back where they came from, but there's been multiple communiques or these, like, communications from this mm -hmm. very, like, nebulous pro-abortion group. One of them said, it's open season on pro-lifers. They literally said, we are coming for you if you don't stop your operations. And then I get nothing from the FBI when I say, are you looking into this, this change revenge group? But so anyways, back to now. So after this whole summer of no arrests apparently being made into these clinics, and I've been talking to them too to figure out if they've been talking to the feds because I want to know if there's anything been done. Now, out of nowhere, we have Mark, and I keep saying his name wrong. It's Mark Huck, I think. Mark Huck at 7 a.m. It's H-O-U-C-K. H-O-U-C-K, yeah. yeah. Um, at 7 a.m. on a Friday morning, uh, 20 to 30 FBI agents show up at his house with guns drawn to arrest him in front of his screaming children. He has seven children. They all just see their father get arrested and taken away because, and this is the, the DOJ has made a great fuss about the fact that he pushed a pro-abortion activist. Well, what we've been told by the mom is that he pushed that pro-abortion activist because the, his son was being harassed by that guy. And the guy... He's like 12. Yeah, his 12-year-old son was being harassed by this guy who apparently was saying inappropriate things and was just kind of aggravating them both and then getting them in their faces. So the father finally pushes this guy and the guy falls down and then the FBI shows up at his house. Where, where was this happening and what? What clinic were they protesting outside of? Yeah, so that's the important part is that it was happening outside an abortion clinic. And there were local charges that ended up getting dropped due to the nature of the story. But the FBI and the DOJ have started using the FACE Act, the uh, Freedom of Access to Abortion Clinics, I think something like that, yeah. Act. And under that, if you prohibit someone from getting into a clinic or if you try to stop them from getting an abortion or providing an abortion, that's a, apparently grounds for the FBI to show up at your house and arrest you. Yes. So my understanding of this act is that it's one of those things that's been on the books for a long time, mm -hmm. but has been very lightly enforced in part because it obviously raises free speech concerns. Right. And also because, as we all know, in terms of the, the protesters, the, the activists that we see outside most of these clinics, most of them are quiet, peaceful people who stand with a sign and, you know, pray and protest and urge people who are going into the clinic not to go into the clinic, but essentially don't engage in any kind of physical activity. Right. So that means that it doesn't really get used all that much. Now the Biden administration is actually choosing to enforce it, and it seems like they're enforcing it aggressively. Yes. Yeah, so actually this morning um, I covered a letter from Jim Jordan to, the, uh, to Merrick Garland, and he's saying, 
we are launching a congressional inquiry into your behavior because it looks like you are selectively enforcing the FACE Act against pro-lifers. And what Mark's lawyers have told me and what I've been hearing kind of across the board is that people are perceiving the way the DOJ is enforcing the FACE Act to be politically motivated against pro-lifers as a response to the overturn of Roe v. Wade and all these promises they made to abortion activists. Well, one of the things that the White House obviously engaged in is that they immediately said that they would be pushing back, but there's actually a lot of limitations in place that prevent them from being able to push back. This seems to be one way to do it, namely to use the power of the Department of Justice to intimidate uh, pro-lifers. What are some of the things that have followed since? Because it seems like they're now, Mark is, is was sort of the first prominent example, but it seems like they've followed through since then with a number of other people. Yeah, there's been so many weird things that have happened since Mark was arrested. I remember right at the same time, there was this crazy story about an 84-year-old woman who got shot canvassing against a pro-abortion ballot initiative. She, the guy, she went to a man's house. She was talking to his wife on the front porch. He comes out of the barn and hears them yelling at each other, comes up and shoots her just because she was in this altercation with his wife about abortion initiative. And it wasn't as if she was a dangerous threat. She's a little tiny 84-year-old woman. Well, nothing from the DOJ on that. That was explicitly involved abortion incident. Nothing from the DOJ on that, even though this little tiny woman was shot. And then we hear that I had a bunch of pro-lifers tell me that two FBI agents showed up to an abortion clinic in Minnesota, I believe, and they spoke to a man named Henry who had been involved in a similar incident um, to Mark's where an abortion volunteer, I believe, came up and started cutting up a sign in front of it. And when he pushed the abortion activist away and said to stop cutting up the sign, Mm -hmm. I believe that abortion activist fell down, people got involved, local charges were dropped, and then the FBI showed up at the clinic allegedly, to talk to this guy about what went on. And so now these pro-life activists in Minnesota are worried that Henry is going to get hauled in on face charges too. And then on Wednesday, we find out that 11 more pro-life activists were charged with face act violations. I spoke to an activist, A.J. Hurley. He wasn't one of those charged, but he was here all throughout the Roe v. Wade protests. Um, He's close with a lot of the activists that were charged with face act violations. And AJ told me that the FBI went to the home of Chester Gallagher, who is one of those activists, and they went with guns drawn, according to AJ, raided the house. He wasn't there. He was in South Carolina, and he volunteered to turn himself in. And so that's 11 more activists who are being charged with these face act violations. And I might not get this part exactly right, but they're not just charged with face act violations. It's conspiracy to, can't remember the rest of it, Mm -hmm. but that conspiracy part makes it so that they would serve, I believe, up to 10 years in jail Mm -hmm. for these charges. So one of the things that I think is so critical to understand about, you know, how dangerous this is, is that we have various, we have a very wide broad understanding of free speech in America when it comes to protesting outside of places. You know, you can set up across the street from virtually any corporation, you know, in America, and you can protest them. You can do, engage in all sorts of behavior. You know, if you, if you hate what Amazon is doing, you can go and, and sit outside, you know, across the street from Jeff Bezos' house with a sign, and, and you're fine. But this seems to be the one issue where 
the Department of Justice and the Biden administration is willing to completely cast aside any kind of free speech justification. And, you know, if you, as you have said in these, in, in these instances, they also clearly are trying to intimidate the people involved away from being able to protect themselves and their family. I'm not going to project or read the mind of the people who fell down in instances where they were being pushed by, you know, another adult. But, you know, from my perspective, this sounds a lot like quarterback flopping. And it's the sort of thing that is is really dangerous because basically the, the line now becomes, well, if I, if I trip and fall down, then I'm able to, you know, not just get rid of you, but send you to jail potentially for up to a decade. Um, is, is there any kind of hope that you have that this is something that, whether through investigative pressure from Congress or through the fact that now they seem to be biting off more and more, that it's going to gain some kind of traction and pushback when it comes to Merrick Garland's behavior and the behavior of the Department of Justice? Well, I think we've seen throughout history that it's never effective to try and crush the spirit of people who are religiously motivated or who are passionately motivated about something like life. <laughs> uh, Mark Hopkins uh, gets out of prison, goes right back to the same place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think that if you, if the DOJ, if, if you're underestimating these people who are literally there on their knees praying that mm. these women do not abort their baby. That is all that is going on there. And, you know, the DOJ has made a lot of promises in the wake of Roe v. Wade they have promised, I think they have this reproductive health task force now. Yes. They've got all kinds of different things going on. They're taking all kinds of legal action to block different state laws. And something that I feel like was under-discussed is Kristen Clark, who's in charge of the civil rights, uh, yes. I can't remember her exact title. She has been very open about how she thinks that pre crisis pregnancy centers are, she called them fake clinics. She called them predatory. Mm -hmm. She has also spoken out against religious freedom. And she is the one that's in charge of enforcing the FACE Act. So let's talk about that for a minute. One of the things that happened from a non-governmental perspective immediately after the Dobbs decision was that Google started significantly downrating a lot of these crisis pregnancy centers across the country. And just so people know, the way that these centers are kind of positioned is that typically they've been put in the same neighborhoods as a lot of Planned Parenthood clinics. Sometimes they're blocks away or they're intentionally on the route to a Planned Parenthood clinic because they want to be able to provide an alternative to the women right. who might be going to that clinic in order to get an abortion. And what they're doing is perfectly legal. They, they offer you know pregnancy tests to women and then they essentially will try to convince them not to have an abortion, which is something that is obviously they're perfectly within their rights to do. But they also are essentially advertising for the kind of resources that are there if they choose not to abort their child. Right. It's meant to kind of put everything in front of the women who might be considering abortion and say, hey, look, you may not know. Here are the 15 different groups that can help you if you decide to keep this baby. And if you want to give it up for adoption, here's what that process looks like. Because a lot of women are, frankly, in the position of thinking that the only choice that they have is to abort the child. And that there isn't really anything else that's out there for them, that there's no kind of resources. And that's simply not the case. But in terms of the Google searches involved, and I've tested this myself, I've had friends test it in other, in other states, the difference in terms of what you will find when you search for these centers on Google versus what you saw pre-Dobbs is very apparent. And it's clear that they're downrating those things 
pushing them off of the first page, which obviously from the Google perspective is death in terms of people being able to find you. Has there been any pushback or any kind of complaints about that? I've seen some lawmakers, I believe it was Josh Hawley, who yes. was calling out Google for this. It's particularly crazy. I just saw this video this morning of Cori Bush. She's talking about how when she was 19 years old, she went in for an abortion. It was her second abortion. And while she was in there, she decided that she wasn't ready. She hadn't told the father. She wasn't sure if she wanted to do it. And she describes how she's on this table about to get her abortion. The doc, the abortionist in the room and the nurses or staff just ignored her saying she didn't want to do it. And they put the suction tools inside her and aborted her baby without her consent at that point. She was saying, no, I don't want to do it. And they told her that this was what was best for her. That's a very, very pro-abortion Democratic politician saying that because it was a traumatic experience for her. She articulated that she didn't know what to do or where to go because this was just what was the norm at that point mm -hmm. for what she was supposed to, how she was supposed to handle this. So I was thinking of that too, when we were, we were talking about pro-life crisis pregnancy centers earlier, because when you hide the option like that, women think that their only option is abortion. And that's so unfair. Mm -hmm. that's, that's so outrageously unfair to tell a woman that you can't do it. Your only option is abortion. And we have like Senator Elizabeth Warren talking about how predatory crisis pregnancy centers are and how we should be uh, taking Maisie Hirano called for and call to action against these crisis mm -hmm. pregnancy centers. Why can't we have more than one choice? I thought it was a particularly disgusting move in, in Nevada where Senator Cortez Masto came out in favor of this uh, legislation that is designed to essentially target uh, these uh, crisis pregnancy centers, in part because she is running against Adam Laxalt, who was the product of an unmarried pregnancy uh, where his mom obviously uh, kept him, and only later did he learn that the father was uh, Pete Domenici, the senator from New Mexico. Wow. So if you don't know that story, Adam Laxalt's very public about it, but it's one of these things where it's like, yeah, this feels a little personal. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, Two other uh, stories that I wanted to ask you about, just in terms of the dynamic of abortion right. playing in this uh, in this year's midterm elections, I wanted to hear your analysis of the situation in Georgia, where obviously Republican Herschel Walker has been accused of paying for an abortion. This is something that has, you know, he's obviously denied it vociferously. He said that he never has paid for an abortion. He said that this is, you know, something that is is simply not true. He's had mental health issues in the past, which he's written about from over a decade ago. He wrote a whole book about it. He's done multiple interviews with his ex-wife about it over the years. And so he was always someone where there were some red flags. But it does seem like pro-lifers in Georgia and certainly conservatives and Republicans in Georgia are still emphatically you know, supportive of him. You know, despite this, they use the argument that Raphael Warnock, the mm -hmm. current senator, mm -hmm. is someone who supports, you know, essentially unlimited abortion, taxpayer funding and the like. Talk to me about the difficulty of navigating the the kind of uh, world of politics as a pro-lifer where you have people who may be politically in agreement with you on certain things, but you may have moral qualms about what they might have done in the past. The same kind of issue that reared its head in 2016 with Donald Trump. Right. No, it's such a great um, conversation to have because I think that is such a difficulty for many people in the 2016 election and now when they're talking about this Herschel Walker situation because I think a lot of pro-lifers definitely believe in forgiveness, but 
many pro-lifers vote singularly on abortion. And yeah. so to think that the candidate you're voting for may have paid for an abortion, that's really hard for a lot of people. Now, what I was saying to some friends the other day is if there was a candidate that did that, and I don't know whether he did or not, he's saying he didn't. If he did, if he came forward and said, this happened, I'm so ashamed of it. I am trying so hard to protect the unborn now. That would be a really admirable, respectable thing to do. Now, you know, obviously it would be really, really horrible that that happened. But if you can move past that and to advocate for the unborn afterwards, I think that's commendable. Mm -hmm. Now, he's saying he didn't do it. So I hope he didn't. But, you know, for pro-lifers, that's a choice you have to make where you say, okay, do I believe this person? And I think also really important is to look at the other candidate and say, okay, who is going to protect the unborn? If this is my issue, I need to focus on the candidate that's actually going to protect the unborn. Mm -hmm. And in that case, that is not Raphael Warnock. There was a fascinating poll uh, shared uh, today by Dan Kuhn, I believe, on on Twitter that, that looked at the question of whether candidates or uh, politicians could be to could take immoral acts in their private life but be good moral stewards in their public life and the shift on that from where republicans were basically two decades ago to today is dramatic oh, it's a massive increase in the number of people who think that and i think that that's uh, indication of what it feels like to be on the losing side of a culture war right. and basically like no i just need to turn to who my friends are at right. this moment and then the other thing I wanted to ask you about was, I don't know if you had an opportunity to see this Kanye West interview yes. that, that he did with Tucker Carlson where he talked about uh, abortion and being pro-life. Tell me a little bit about the way that the pro-life cause sort of needs to navigate this moment within the cultural space. Mm -hmm. Because I think I hear from all these different sources and when I speak to pro-life audiences, this is something that comes up as a question almost every single time where they basically say, you know, what, what should we be doing within the culture? How can we try to shift the culture? Because in many ways, you know, there was this whole argument pre-Dobbs among advanced by a lot of people. I mean, David French was one of the people advancing it, basically saying that, like, the culture needs to change before the law is going to change. Well, the law changed before the culture changed, right. and now we're dealing with it. Right. So what does it look like in terms of, from your perspective as a, as a pro-life American, what do pro-lifers need to be doing within the culture to try to win this argument there? Well, first of all, the fact that Kanye West on national television, on Tucker Carlson tonight, would talk about how he's pro-life and he supports the unborn. I think I tweeted this this morning. And with the correct stat, by the way, about the yes. New York City deaths of, yes. of uh, black children. I was, I was, <laughs> wow. It was so well done. And I, I think I tweeted this. He did more good just saying that and putting that out there as like the cultural pop icon that mm -hmm. he is than most politicians will ever do. And people, I think, particularly here in D.C., we underestimate the power of pop culture. We underestimate the power that someone like that has to just weigh in on something as simple as saying, I am pro-life, I want to protect the unborn. Mm -hmm. I was kind of in awe when I saw it, actually. I was thinking about, this is very specific Mary Margaret reference, but I was thinking about the passion of the Christ, yeah. which Mel Gibson made. And I was thinking, you know what? Mel Gibson, can he's done a lot of bad things. But when he goes to meet God, God's going to be like, good job, you made the passion. You know, like, you reach so many people through a medium like that. Kanye, you made some terrible sneakers, but you also did this. But you, you, you changed a lot of hearts just by saying you're pro-life. So I was, you know, that, that was my immediate thought. Mm -hmm. 
And I think that, you know, Kanye says stupid things, Kanye does stupid things, but the pro-life movement and life action has been kind of good at this. They need to lean into popular culture. They need to sniff out those people that have that, the understanding of the true and the beautiful and the good and say, come on, speak up. You're brave. You're, you have this platform. Use it. Art will move more minds and hearts on this than I think, you know, any politician will pretty much ever. Absolutely, so, yeah. Mary Margaret, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with me and discuss these important issues today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm Ben Domenech. This has been another episode of The District brought to you by The Spectator. Uh, go to spectatorworld.com in order to sign up for a subscription. We'll be back soon with more. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of The District, don't forget to subscribe. You can find us wherever you listen to your podcasts. The Spectator World is the American edition of the world's oldest magazine. To read more content on similar topics, please visit spectatorworld.com.